Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Friends, today we're going to hear a story from Luke's Gospel, from the first chapter, verses 39 through 55. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big fan of songs. I sing songs on the road in my car. I sing songs in the shower. I sing songs around my friends, but they don't want me to sing. What? In this Rob Schoonover. I'm a second-year uh, Master's of Divinity student at the Camber School of Theology at Emory University down the road, uh, and I would love to meet after in the narthex, so let's talk. Uh, I don't know your opinion of Christmas music, but I think we can all agree that it shows up way too soon. There's something really strange about hearing Santa Claus is coming to town while the leaves are still green and you're packing your bag to go to the pool. Uh, or walking around the mall in August, and there's that little section of that one store that's play- that has Christmas decorations out, and they're like playing the songs on the Christmas decorations, but the, the music overhead is still normal, and you're like, why are they doing this? Uh, but I think Christmas songs can get on our nerves a little bit because it doesn't feel like they're telling the whole story. They often convey optimism and not hope. And optimism is terrific for conveying my excitement about Star Wars Episode Nine coming out on December 20th, or what's going to be in my stocking on December 25th. 
But optimism can become toxic when it tries to take the place of hope. And optimism fails when it becomes consumed by darkness. Andrew Carnegie, the 19th century entrepreneur who was raised Presbyterian and with his success sort of lost some of his faith, wrote in his journal in the, right before World War I, I want you to listen to this. Light came in as a flood, and all was clear. Not only had I got rid of theology and the supernatural, but I found the truth. All is well, since all grows better, became my motto, my true source of comfort. There can be no conceivable end to humanity's march to perfection. All is well, since all grows better. There can be no conceivable end to humanity's march to perfection. If you want to hear optimism, look no further than that quote. Andrew Carnegie wrote that in the Gilded Age, time before the first two world wars and the Great Depression, where optimism and bootstrap capitalism ruled the day. And years later, during the First World War, he would write an entry reflecting back on that journal. And in it, he would say something different. As I read this today, what a change. The world convulsed by war as never before, and people slaying each other like wild beasts. I dare not relinquish all hope. Optimism cannot hold a candle in the darkness, even when the darkness is as far removed as it was for Andrew Carnegie in a war overseas. Hope is so much bigger than our cycles of boom and bust. And 2,000 years before Andrew Carnegie's claim, Luke's gospel gives us an account of Mary's song of hope. Only in the physician's gospel, one who's set with suffering, do we find Mary's song. And it's not the only one. The first part of Luke's gospel account is full of songs that paint a much fuller picture of the human experience. Not long after Mary, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, will take the stage to sing his tune. The angels will offer their own canticle after the birth of Jesus. And later, Simeon will sing about God's mercy being extended to all the world. Now, the Magnificat itself, Mary's song, is a cover of sorts. It's using the words of another mother from the Old Testament, the mother of Samuel, Hannah. And Samuel and Hannah were speaking into present power structures in their age. I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't hear the Magnificat or the Song of Mary in the main story of Christmas. Uh, it wasn't in my children's illustrated picture Bible. It wasn't commonly read in the church I grew up in, and it still doesn't feature strongly in the lexicon of the Hallmark brand nativity books that we get. Writer D.L. Mayfield, who writes for the Washington Post, wrote a column last year where she talked about being forced to play Mary in a Christmas play. The role had no speaking parts because her tradition held up Mary as a quiet, compliant girl. However, this text, which is the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament, describes Mary as anything but quiet and compliant. In fact, while many of us in America would forget about this verse, this would be the passage read by poor and marginalized communities for ages. Oscar Romero, who David mentioned last week, was said to read the Magnificat daily as a prayer for his community. Another theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is quoted as saying this about the Magnificat. This song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is the most passionate, 
most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not the gentle, sweet, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we find so often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world, close quote. For generations who have lived in darkness, this song gives language to hope and liberation. I have a deep connection with the music I listen to. I mentioned it in the word of worship. I vividly remember singing, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet in my third grade Sunday school class. I also remember reciting really angsty rock music to myself during difficult weeks at Boy Scout camp. I can hear any song from my past to be transported back to those moments. Music marks our experiences in such profound ways. It has an uncanny, uncanny ability to strike our nerves and name our pain. My Soul Cries Out, also known as Canticle of the Turning, which we'll sing after I preach, has been a song I've clung to in seminary as my own sort of prayer for God's justice in the world. And I'm grateful for churches and communities that are willing to include these songs of hope on their Christmas playlists among, among the optimistic tunes we hear all around. When we sing those songs, we begin to push back against the myths of toxic optimism. As I said before, our love-hate relationship with Christmas music is partly because those songs just aren't telling the whole story. Indeed, a season of bright celebration is coming on December 25th. But what about December 8th? What about right now? What about the injustice in our community? What about corruption in Washington? What about the pain in my family? Christmas music, especially of the retail store variety, just doesn't feel like it's telling us the truth. Mary's song catches on because those who have experienced even a fraction of what Mary has can resonate with it. Late in his career, Johnny Cash was becoming somewhat of an afterthought. His chart toppers were seen as falling out of fashion, and punk and grunge had the market cornered on the edginess he once owned. Producer Rick Rubin, who was famous for his time at Def Jam Records, approached Cash with an idea. Let's stop singing the songs that you think people want to hear, and let's sing the songs when you're alone in your room. He did a wild thing. He booked Cash to play at the Viper Room in LA, which is a small venue similar to Eddie's Attic in Decatur. Cash played his first concert there in 1992 and decided for the first time in his career to play with no band behind him, just his voice and his guitar. And people that are there describe it, and they say at first he was nervous, probably like I was nervous the first time I had to read a poem for the call to worship. And backstage he was pacing back and forth. There was no band and no flair to rely on. The first few songs began, and they were a little shaky. He was uncertain if this was going to work. But about a third of the way in, he started to find his groove. And the people that were there described the event in almost religious terms. He pulled out some of his own songs that he wrote. He covered some heavy metal songs. He covered some songs from his childhood. And in all of them, he was singing songs that he really believed. It felt like he was telling the truth. Soon after, Cash would release a volume of albums known as the American Recordings. You may be familiar with them. And they bring us various covers of songs that brought him deep hope. And they include liberation songs by Bob Marley and Queen Lileo Kalani of Hawaii. 
I believe that Cash found these songs so profound because they invite us, like Mary's song, to stare the darkness in its face, to call a spade a spade, and to believe that hope is coming. They allow us to understand the suffering of our neighbors, and they compel us toward action. So what about today? Are we not allowed to listen to Christmas tunes? And the answer is, of course we are. But we need to turn our dial to the, to the songs that name our own suffering and the suffering of our neighbors and our community. Mary's song helps us understand that God is a God of liberation, and not in the over-spiritualized sense, but a God that exists to liberate us from the reality of social and economic injustice in her world and our world. The God that Mary believes in is the God that is coming to set things right on earth as it is in heaven. And her song may not sound like good news for those of us who are neither hungry or poor, but as people who are trying to take the Bible seriously, we must accept Mary's invitation to look at the darkness head on and understand that the arrival of our Savior offers so much more than the boom and bust cycles of our economic success. In God's kingdom, nobody gets left to wallow in the dark. Amen.